advice lovers, and welcome to the replay, where we replay and reply to questions about games and advice columns of the past. And now, finally, two married people can be on a <laughs> podcast together and give advice that they're definitely qualified to give. I am Eric Silver, and the... Oh God! I forgot to prep this. <laughs> it's fun. this. This analogy is funny every time. So just take a beat, revel in the fact that I'm laughing at your jokes, even though we are married now, and go. And the wife with the mic. Ooh, is Amanda McLaughlin? That's there she me. is. Hello. I did it. It only took me 15 seconds of silence. That's okay, honey. I was just really enjoying the fact that this joke is funny every time, and we've done uh, several dozen of these episodes between Patreon and the main feed. I just forgot to, to do this. I forgot that I, I put this in, So, but there it is. Well, hey, Games of Feelings just went weekly a couple months ago. We've only wow. done a few of these in the main feed, so you're getting settled. I know. This is our only our third one in the main feed, intentional one in the main feed. Indeed. This wasn't like when you explained the games business to me and everybody else. It was, was really fun. fun. Yeah. Uh, hey, if you like this... Amanda said we do bi-weekly episodes of this on the Patreon, which you can just get for $5 a month. We've been doing it for as long as the show has existed. So there's like over 20 episodes. There's like 25. Yeah. Replays. Even there, you even have episodes called the DLC when I didn't call it the replay. And then just one day you came up with the idea of calling it the replay. And I was like, oh, damn. And there yes. you go. That's like uh, we've averaged um, probably three questions per episode. So that's, you know. Three score questions that you can enjoy. Uh, I'm Abraham Lincoln now, uh, hearing our, our real advice as opposed to these uh, fucking chuckle fucks fake yeah. advice. And other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the podcast? Podcast is just fine. It was good. I hope can you it... imagine a previous American president saying the word podcast? No. God, I would die. Like, like who? Oh, I mean, I was thinking Lincoln right there, but I think the funniest, probably Calvin Coolidge. <laughs> I yeah. think he had, well, be funny. he had the most regional accent of all of them. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. What, what if um, Warren G. Harding was talking about a podcast? <laughs> so I was listening to this business podcast, and they told me to go- What's, what's this impression? Like, well, I don't know what he sounded like. He was just it's a just himbo. old-timey guy? Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, Warren G. Harding was just a himbo, canonically. We know this from American really? history. I didn't know that. This was very much like in the- just uh, a guy who looks like a guy can run for sure. president. Well, I mean, like his he, face would look good in a quarter. Like, like that oh, kind of thing. I was uh, I was listening to the uh, to the, my business podcast, and it told <laughs> me to go all in on the teapot dome. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, that was good. It was a, it was an oil scandal. He was, was in with cronies. Say, what a scandal! It was cronyism. <laughs> uh, Abe Lincoln had a reedy voice. They actually yes. there were recordings of him from like an old wax uh, cylinders. I uh, I did know about that, and I just think it's pretty cool that a guy with a reedy voice could still become a very iconic president. Yeah, I mean, you could just like say whatever about presidents in the past. You're like, you never had to hear him speak. The guy did he? He was he famously debated people, yes. and still no one knows what his voice sounded like. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I I once uh, helped put on an event for the Poetry Foundation in the basement of Cooper Union, which was oh, like shit. a famous uh, you know debate venue, and like Frederick Douglass spoke there, and like all kinds of incredible um, like that's where the Lincoln Douglass debates happen or like discussions happen. That's where it comes. That from. happened in New York. Yeah, that happened in the basement of Cooper Union. That's where, wild. Uh, you know, people are throwing up after getting off the six train every weekend. Um, <laughs> I thought it was. I just assumed it was in Chicago. All no, right. no, it was here. Um, and anyway, yeah. So it it like 
I felt I felt in my bones like this incredible sense of like I'm in this like very small and hot basement where where Abraham Lincoln once spoke. Like it's amazing. Can you imagine Abe Lincoln doing podcast ads? Oh boy, uh, I think he would probably have too many ethical compunctions to uh, to to voice the copy. He'd be like. Um, this is not the best thing I've ever tasted or whatever it reading voice like, means. Why does your Abe Lincoln death sound sick? <laughs> I mean, I I imagine him always on the brink of death. And he was a, a pallor, a man of, of pale pallor. But no, he was healthy until he was assassinated. Yeah. So. It's very important when you're running a government to have both your friends and your enemies in the cabinet. But it's also important for therapy. And that's why we're sponsored <laughs> oh, by no. BetterHelp. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Abe Lincoln sound like a ten-year-old. I don't know what read. I mean, I've I know what he reads are, like a but high yeah, nasally yeah. Voice. yeah. Listen, I'm gonna make him sound like Fran Drusher. <laughs> Good stuff. And then I said, Freddie. <laughs> You've been watching too much Seinfeld again. Yeah. It's weird. Um, uh, Janice, do you know Friends? Right. Yeah. Okay. More so, or less. so the actress who there's a lot of people who went through both. Seinfeld and then Friends because they were like the juggernaut sitcoms one after another. Oh, right. So Janice, who's like, everyone knows of Janice, she's in Seinfeld as the woman who gets set up on a blind date with George. And the whole thing is like George talking about, she's a very attractive woman. And she was like even younger during Seinfeld than she was on Friends. Oh, right. Where she's like in in like their 30s, ostensibly. Um, so it was just really funny how they're, so George is like, what does she look like? like does she have a dewy face? Does, have a nice, <laughs> does her cheeks have a reddish hue? Is it a thick, lustrous hair? And then Elaine's like, he's bald! <laughs> like, so it's always just funny seeing um, the same actors used multiple times. Especially Courtney Cox was yes. was a Jerry's girlfriend. And also one of the girlies from uh, Sex of the City was Jerry's girlfriend. Yeah, I, I would- Charlotte. Whenever I would watch you watch Seinfeld in our living room on our couch, I would occasionally look up and be like, oh, it's that guy. Because there are so many identifiable actors that are just 35 years younger in that show. Yeah. Uh, it's wild that Jerry Seinfeld get such attractive girlfriends. Truly wild. Yeah, really. Because his hair was like a helmet. Elaine's a terrible person. Why does anybody in love with I her? I know. Elaine truly is. Her like whole a thing is like, person. everyone's in love with me. And I hate them. Could like, you just what? dress like that in the 90s? I, I guess. That is wild. I guess. The like butterfly clip with the big hair in a low pony scrunchie. Yeah. I could not get over it. And then just the dress. I know. It's wild. Know. Okay. Wild. Well, we could talk about this forever, but uh, we have to do an ad read for Mae Blinken. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a very busy president, and so I have to get my meals delivered from HelloFresh. <laughs> God, he sounds sick. <laughs> I'm not the impressionist in this marriage, Eric. My wife, Mary Todd Lincoln, loves ghosts. No, and, now he sounds like and a if South you Park love character. Go- and if you love ghosts, too, you should listen to Spirits, <laughs> a boozy dive of myths and legends. <laughs> Thanks, Abe. Thanks, Abe. Abe, uh, here's an urban legend from Abe. Uh, Abe writes, <laughs> Wow, for a long-time listener, first-time caller, I love that Eric Silver guy. He should come on more. My wife, Mary Todd, <laughs> gets, is fucking into ghosts. She has seances all the time, but the people she brings around are wild. Hopefully the ghost won't come with me when I go to the theater. I love the theater. Love, Abe. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I've been trapped in a theater for 200 years. Am I okay? <laughs> no, Abe, you're dead. <laughs> I hope that a ghost doesn't write into spirits. That would be wild. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of shit in our inbox, but not that yet. Well, that's good. Um, okay. 
time to do the podcast. We are going to talk about the many etiquette rules that have been published recently by The Cut. But first, we're going to do the games that are giving us feelings. We're going to talk about a game that it doesn't have to be new. It's just one that we've been playing lately. And what feeling it's been giving us, we have to assign it like we're doing a live journal post. Amanda, do you have a game that's giving you feelings? Yes, the game uh, Spelling Bee by the uh, New York Times Word Division and other kind of competitor apps that do the same thing. There's one called Make Words. Uh, there are a bunch of apps that like give you letters and you have to identify words from within them. Uh, is giving me the feeling of connection oh. uh, because this past weekend uh, we hung out with one of your cousins and her precocious nine-year-old um, and less precocious seven-year-old. Uh, and Damn. the, uh, the nine-year-old <laughs> really loves this app. It's it's not. Spelling Bee, but Spelling Bee is like the New York Timesian version of it, uh, which I don't pay for because fuck the New York Times. Um, but there, <laughs> I can't pay your workers. New York Times, don't pay Wordle. Pay I, your writers. I can neither text your cousin's kid nor want to ask your cousin what that game was that we were playing. So I'm just going to cycle through a bunch until I find the one. Um, I will say her husband did ask me what it was, and I said that you did recommend strongly American and European truck simulator. Oh, yeah. No, those those kids are deeply nerdy, especially the older precocious one. And so I'm like, you would really enjoy driving a truck across Europe. And he was like, I would. Um, <laughs> but no, it was it was uh, really nice to bond with a kid by looking at, you know, seven letter tiles and uh, identify words and then be like, oh, do you know the word like sty, S-T-Y? It's a thing that can go into your I hope that doesn't happen to you. Here, let's guess S-T-Y. Uh, yeah, and it was uh, it was really nice. And as a, a fellow young child who likes talking to adults and uh, letters and reading and people saying how smart I was, uh, it gave me, you know, some nice memories and uh, a little feeling of connection where I can hopefully be, you know, that kid's cool uh, older cousin who uh, they bonded with over words once. Mm. Do you think that that's fruitful? Do you think that that's worth investing in? I think it was a nice way to stop talking about the job market and uh, <laughs> hang out with a kid where I don't have a lot of experience hanging out with children. Um, apart from like, you know, looking after my own siblings, my friends mostly have like very little babies if they have kids at all. And so it's uh, new to me to hang out with kids that are old enough to, you know, like hold, carry on a conversation versus, you know, staring off into the distance or, you know, watching a TV show together. Uh, it was a nice activity. And I felt pretty equally matched, I must say. Uh, and this kid thought I was smart, you know, in like identifying five letter words like elbow. And um, that made me feel happy. Good job. I'm still uh, more interested in taking photos of everyone's cats and dogs. So I'll continue to do that. I want to give a shout out to Baba, my brother's cat, who was holding the brunch, who was underneath of a blanket, and I got to take a very nice photo of them underneath the blanket because they're big. They're a big cutie pie. Uh, Baba stands for Baba Ganoush. Baba's like one of those like patchwork cats. Calico. Calico cat. No, I'm going with what I said. I'm yeah. one of those patchwork cats. It's great. Um, and very cute. And I don't know any other cat that's shaped or colored like that. So shout out to Baba. I think Baba also has six toes. Yes, she I does. On multiple paws. Yeah, I know. She's a real cutie pie. <sighs> and then she's like, done with this, went under the blanket. And like any behavior I observe in a cat, I'm like, yeah, wish I could do that. Smart. Absolutely smart. 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 Yeah. Weird. There was a moment during that brunch where I looked up and everyone at the table was doing the word games. A very, <laughs> like there, two New York Times and one knockoff. Well, yeah, all, all the parents were doing the same New York Times app and the kid was doing like the free app where you had to sit through ads and like earn points to like get a hint and stuff. Um, and we bonded. I was like, it's kind of annoying to make you watch the ad. And he was like, it is. Wow. <laughs> Dang. So... Eric, what is a game that's giving you a feeling? And tell me, like, you are writing a live journal post about your um, aspiring poetry career in 2009. Stop. Rude. Rude. Okay. 
<laughs> what? <laughs> Put me on blast on Live Journal. Just saying. I was not aspiring poetry. I was just writing really angsty stuff on my on my Live Journal. There's real like call out posts of other people and then seeing them comment and stuff like that. Oh, you had IRL friends on your Live Journal? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh, 2004, damn. baby. Wow, mine was entirely firewalls from my real identity. Mm. Well, you were like RPing that you were like 19 and living in Wisconsin. And mine was just like about high school. Wow. And middle school, actually, at that time. Good on you. So did anyone use Facebook or was that like kind of more broadly social? No, that was before Facebook, I think. Yeah. Or like Facebook let... was just for like tagging photos and running on people's walls. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Not reflection. Deep yeah. call outs. I think I learned the word poignant from someone on LiveJournal, too. Like, like someone used it. Definition, blah, blah, blah. Or like as the feeling. No, someone said that something I wrote was poignant. And I was like, oh my God, what does that mean? Hell yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, now I learned a word. Mm, Thank yeah. you, person on the internet. I Fancy. appreciate that. Um, so the game that's giving me feelings is the Avatar The Last Airbender RPG. Mm. Uh, and the feeling I'm getting is confusion. So this is a game that came out recently. Um, it had not over $9 million on Kickstarter, it's run by a pretty popular games press. I don't have it right in front of me, but it's like, you know, we talk about video games in terms of like AAA and indie, and there's the same way that people talk about tabletop RPGs as well, but there actually is quite a lot of um, of a continuum in between. Uh, I would say that, I think this is run by Magpie Games, that's like a double A, yes. I would call like a double A uh, game studio. And again, they got $9 million for this. And I think Magpie is very familiar with the Power by the Apocalypse system. They make masks, which is one of my favorite tabletop RPGs, uh, which allows you to play a teenage superhero. And my favorite thing about it is that the form follows the function. There is nothing in the game that isn't about being a, su a teenage superhero, right? They actually do away with a lot of combat because it shouldn't matter as being a superhero. You have powers, you can get things done, you can say, I punch all these people and I do this, and, and your GM is like, oh yeah, you sure do do that, unless you're doing like a move that like makes you do something absolutely fucking crazy, right? One, Eric said, doo-doo. Two, it's really nice um, for the game to presume that competence. It's like, yeah, you're a superhero. You're going to have a thing you can do. Right. So the Avatar The Last Airbender game came out, and it was like, oh, I kind of assumed that it was going to be powered by the Apocalypse system, but they were going to put some other like moves on top of it that's related to the Avatar world or maybe in terms of bending you have and all that other stuff. Um, so we were going to sit down and play this with our friends Marquez and Megan. You might remember Marquez from a previous episode of Games and Feelings, and both of them have a very long history of playing games that are not Dungeons and Dragons uh, for recorded actual play stuff, right? We sat down to do it, and I was doing some character creation stuff, and then I realized, like, okay, so this is just masks, plus some, like, Avatar the Airbender rules about, like, the balance in your body. Like, if you do too much good things or self-sacrificing things, it's bad, but if you do too many evil things or selfish things, it's bad, too. And then on top of that, there's a combat system about choosing bending moves. It's like, it could not be more little soldiers on a battlefield if you made it, if you did it. Eric, I got deep into these rules. Do you want me to try to recap them to you? Please. So there are seven steps to the combat. Um, like there is... It's like you pull book. over and you do initiative, but it's not even just initiative. It's like you pull over and you you do a Civil War reenactment, but instead of the Civil War, it's Avatar The Last Airbender World. Yeah, so it's like every every action has to be in a pair, and then like you, bo you both secretly decide which kind, which style 
style of movie you want to do, like evade versus like, you know, it's like attack it or evade right. or something. And else, then yeah. like you reveal it. And then there is a like PEMDAS order to how the attacks are unfolded. And then at the end, just like tally up who won and who lost. And then like somebody gets gets the round like it. It could not be more grinding the action of role playing to a halt. Right. And then it's not even just that. It's like you can choose basic attack moves or you can do specific ones based on if you know bending, if you know weapons, or if you know technology. There are specific ones that you have, and then there are other ones that are based on your background. If you're like from the military or you're from the, or you lived in the wild, you lived like in an urban environment. There's like too many choices, and it's ridiculous that you need to pull over and do this. Yeah. So I was looking at this and I love masks. I really do. And I also love Avatar the Last Airbender. But looking at this, I'm just like, this you, we paid you nine million dollars for masks with extra steps? That's fucking ridiculous. And for the first time, I think in my life, we were ready to play a, a tabletop RPG and I'm like, I don't want to do this. Yeah, but I commend you for saying that. And then instead we uh, chatted and had a nice time and played some like BuzzFeed quizzes and just like hung out for three hours on Zoom. And that was really nice. It is nice. And I think a lot about adult life, especially with people who are in different places and you only know them digitally, is that like you just need to carve the time out and then you guys can hang out. Uh, I did feel bad because Marquez is a very good GM, especially for Powered by the Apocalypse games. Uh, and I felt bad that he prepped stuff and we didn't use it. Um, but he did share what he was going to do. And we were like, oh, that's actually really cool. Good job. Yeah. But it's like, you know, for an IP game, the and Marquez showed me the book, the hardcover book that he has, plus the PDF that he sent around to everybody. And like, man, 80% of that book is just trying to justify how your story that you play in the tabletop RPG space fits into the the continuity of the Avatar The Last Airbender world, yeah. which is crazy. There's like a whole page disclaimer of why you can't play the Avatar. Yeah. And why you can't play real characters from the story. So it's just like, I just don't understand that, like, why we, like, I guess it sounds like a good idea is be like, oh, a Powered by the Apocalypse game, that's Avatar The Last Airbender. What a good idea. And then the execution is so deeply mid. I is so frustrating. I'm also realizing that mid feels so much more cutting than the word mediocre that I'm tr <laughs> grabbing it because I like I it so like, much. I was like, oh, I've never heard you use that word before. No, it's a, mid is so much more dismissive. Like yes. mediocre is like, meh, but mid is like, nah, get out of here. Yes, it is. It's so deeply mid. And I'm just like, you had all this money and all you did was take a thing that you liked, convince Nickelodeon or the Avatar guys to let you use their IP and then you you did this. It's just, it, it's frustrating to feel from a game designer perspective. So it's sounds like it's both confusion at the rules specifically and also at like why did you do this like how did you get here you had all the resources in the world is that true yeah yeah i feel like what they could have done is just reskin masks without putting all this stuff on top of it right, like, like hey you're a bender you have abilities like you can pretty much do whatever you want like narrate how it goes but the abilities are right you narrate using your abilities as they're grafted onto the moves that you get from a powered by the apocalypse game set you yeah. know what i mean yeah, yeah. like you could have just like added something like put just put it in there like your background your background isn't like your background background your background is the your ability what powers you have are you all benders it's also weird to think that like you're in a party where all of you are different benders which is against the core the ip of the show like you know the different countries have different style of benders so it's just like it, it, the whole if you're trying to justify this on a fandom level you failed 
because it's too overly complicated to justify what it all exists. Because you can't go like, I'm going to go kill Fire Lord Orzai. It's like, well, no, you can't. We're in the Kyoshi era, and that hasn't happened for a hundred years. It's like, ugh. Like, what do we, I don't understand what we're doing here. Again, the same thing is like, why do I want to be, I don't want to play in the world of my favorite IPs. I want to enjoy the art created by that team. You know, and maybe that's just like that. Maybe that's just me as someone who creates as well. I'm uninterested in like living the world, living in the world. But I don't know. It it just felt like a lot of hand wringing for something that was very, 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 very clunky uh, once you actually sat down and played. Yeah, it it felt to me like somebody said Avatar RPG. Someone else said, "Okay, here's nine million dollars," and then they were like, "Uh oh!" And you know, character creation didn't start till page like 112, and the rest of that right. was describing the plot of the entire Avatar universe to people and, and trying to like create a world book of yeah, it. Yeah, it was a lot. Like yeah. it seems like many different products. Like I will buy a, a coffee table book explaining Avatar. I will buy like the history textbook, you know, about the Kyoshi era from the Korra era. Like that, all that stuff sounds really cool. I I don't know. Maybe with something that feels that complete and that good, I don't necessarily feel the desire to play in it yeah i saw a tweet that was like people in the tabletop rpg community are really good at creating two-line elevator pitches about new games they want to play and are very mediocre at actually executing those elevator pitches and this feels like it got played out like i feel like magpie games as a business decision got their hands on the ip and were like hey we're gonna make a tabletop rpg of the avatar world and then oh that's gonna be gangbusters on Kickstarter, got the money, and then when they actually had to do it, they're like, oh. But everyone pre-ordered the game, as is Kickstarter, so it's not mm-hmm. like it's not like reviews had to come out that it was good. It's just, I just find it really deeply frustrating. Well, Eric, you want to get really deeply frustrated at something uh, similar but different? Yes, I want to get deeply frustrated by someone telling me how etiquette should work in 2023. Let's do it. Hey, it's Eric, and I picked up some snacks for games and feelings. I got loaded potato skins from a TGI Fridays. Mmm. If you are not, I think you should be a patron at patreon.com slash games and feelings. Running this weekly is wonderful, but we really need direct support, uh, you know, from the economy. Making independent podcasting is difficult, and it doesn't make that much money, and we need your help to keep this afloat. And plenty of you have joined up recently, and you get the wonderful bonus content of the replay episodes, which are up to about 25 of them, or nearly 25 of them, which is absolutely wild. Uh, And we're also deeply supported by our producer-level patrons, Polly Burridge, Kelsey Duffy, and Megan Moon, who don't need an etiquette guide because they're effortlessly nice all the time. If you want to be like them, or you want to support us at any level, 5, 10, or higher, just go to patreon.com slash gamesandfeelings. I think you should check out the other shows that are part of the Multitude Collective. You'll really like Queer Movie Podcast. Queer Movie Podcast is exactly what it sounds like. It's a queer movie podcast. Join them as they research and rate their way through the queer movie canon, one genre at a time. From rom-coms to slashers, contemporary art house cinema to black and white classics, Queer Movie Podcast is celebrations of all things, and I want to make sure I get this right, gay, that's five A's, on the silver screen. New episodes every other Thursday. Go check it out. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I think it's very difficult to learn new board games. You know, 
it's a type of learning style that only works for a very specific amount of people, but I'm not really sure what else you're supposed to do if you are inventing something innovative for game uh, in the board game space. You know, you have like a YouTube video where you can walk people through, or there's a booklet that will teach you exactly what to do, but even that language is very difficult to get through. But you need to understand what type of learner you are to learn new board games, whether you can pick things up through the written word, or you can watch that video, or you really do need some to walk you through it while playing like kind of a janky first game together and honestly once you learn that it really does change your life something else that can help change your life and help you figure out what type of learner you are or emotional learner you are is therapy and better help can help you get online therapy it's convenient flexible affordable and entirely online so finding therapy nearby is a hassle give better help a try if you want to live a more empowered life Therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Games and Feelings today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Games and Feelings. And now, back to the games. Well, Eric, in February 2023, as you'll no doubt remember because you're on Twitter, (laughs) Uh, The Cut, which is like the lifestyle fashion entertainment vertical of New York Magazine, uh, published a a guide titled 194 Modern Etiquette Rules for Life After COVID. Shit. Yep, that's what the internet said, uh, because <laughs> as as you expected, um, I experienced this as the way I do for many like viral pieces where somebody is like, any fucking one who thinks that you can't say you're gluten-free at a dinner party can go fuck themselves. And I'm like, whoa, what's happening? It's like and three tweets down, exactly, you gotta find the original yeah, yeah. text. Right, two, two people are like, what are you talking about? And then like the fifth one down, somebody is like, oh, it's this article. Um, and so sure enough, many of these 194 um, aphorisms, some of them were like from individuals, <laughs> some of them were general, I, I'm sure like workshopped um, rules. But there are a lot that I thought intersected with the the remit of the replay here on Games and Feelings. And so I would love to uh, bring up some of the ones that made me think, huh, I wonder how this applies to games or to gaming or to friendships and games. And some specifically talk about games. So here we are. Yeah. You know what I'm interested in is who pitched this? Because this was like a massive project. You know, like when you see something on the internet and it has like graphics that move when you scroll down the page and stuff. This was a massive project. So it probably took weeks and weeks of tens of people's time to work on this thing. And like, someone thought it was okay in a very sort of like Sex in the City, um, Devil Wears Prada sort of way, or that someone just like threw it out there and be like, no one's acting proper after 2020, (laughs) after 2020, no one knows what to do. It's our responsibility as the cut to put it out there. And now it's here. Yeah, do you want to hear a little bit about their framing of the article? I would love it. So um, they said, basically, like, uh, the opening line is, the ways we socialize and date, commute and work are nearly unrecognizable from what they were three years ago. We've enjoyed a global pandemic. Open employer-employee warfare. We've enjoyed? I mean, they're saying it tongue-in-cheek, but, like, just listen to the sentence. We've enjoyed a global pandemic, open employer-employee warfare, a multi-front culture war, and social upheavals, both great and small. Oh, God. It's stuff like this that drives me crazy, and I I feel like maybe people get this from their aunts and uncles uh, who are like liberal, quote unquote, or like vote Democrat, but still view like 
the current issues of social justice as like playthings, yes. like politics as as dinner conversation, I, and not as like people's lives. Yeah, I literally overheard two people who seem to be like around our age walking through our neighborhood this morning on my way to work. Be like, if you want to be trans, I guess. And I was like, I I literally Eric almost <laughs> oh, I, I almost stopped and said you like, should have. What are you talking about? Like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> like, I I was very close. Uh, and if I didn't have a, a meeting in ten minutes, like I I really would have stopped and been like. Can you just unpack for me what that means? Because it was so baffling. Yeah. yeah. So very, like, glib. They're like, oh, yeah, 2020 to 2023, things were crazy. Yes. So that was clearly the way they pitched us to the editors. I'm sure some uh, executive at Condé Nast put in that phrase, open employer-employee warfare. Oh, yeah. Good Lord. Um, But yes, this was the idea. uh, And they said, we asked people what kinds of specific kinds of interactions or situations made them anxious, afraid, uncertain, or ashamed. And from there, we created rigid and not entirely inflexible rules. Just writing that I find uh, annoying. And said that they uh, implemented some of these and, uh, you know, ran it by people. I can't imagine the poor person's like spouse or like a group text friend group that was like, why are you being so weird as people try out some of these rules? But what resulted was 194 rules and I'm sure a shitload of page views that really set the internet on fire. Was it Doja Cat who did the new rules? It's like one pick up the phone. It would have been wild if she went to 194 in the course. <laughs> yes, it would have. Uh, new rules, I got them. 150. Don't text, but if he sends you a fruit basket, it's fine. <laughs> yep. So why don't we run through them, Eric? See what you think. Sure. So we're picking the ones that are vaguely games related yes, or can be applied to our game life. Yep. Okay. Uh, and some of them, yes, some of them are not about games, rules as written, but I do think apply to our lives as people who enjoy games and know people who make games. Sure. So the first one, which w- was also screenshotted to death, was you don't have to read everyone's book. Gee whiz, I can't believe this was number one. It sure it's was. It's so specific that, like, you have so many friends near you that you, they're writing books that you can choose not to read some of them. That's Wild. exactly right. If what you take away from this being rule number one is, wow, this is really for the coastal media elite, you'd be right. Um, <laughs> but I thought this was relevant because they're sort of absolving you of saying like, hey, you you can't read everything that every, every one of your many, many, many author friends is writing. Um, I wonder what you think, Eric, of uh, being friends with game designers. Do you sure. think you have to play your friends' games? Just support your friends' games. Do you have to support your friends' podcasts? Like, this is a bigger conversation that I'm, for one, I'm interested in having, uh, but the article doesn't really get into. It's a good question. Uh, I have no idea. I would like it if people consumed my stuff who I know, but, like, I also don't have that expectation because, like, I'm really thankful to my friends that exist that like are not part of this content stuff so i can talk about other things and like do other stuff and i don't have to turn them into content but at the same time i'd like it if they listen to my podcast but at the same time i think it's similar it's like man do i expect my friend to listen to me talk for three hours a week on top of like the other social interaction (laughs) stuff like i don't know i don't know if i'm for my friends because they get me not making content of myself you know Yes. Something that I've seen people do that I really appreciate in like, you know, finding beta readers for stuff that you're reading, but people find beta testers for games that they're making. And I think it makes a lot more sense to like actively ask the people who are really into it and do want to opt in and do want to help. Like I see people on on social all the time being like, hey, I need, you know, some beta testers for this game or some beta readers for this thing. You know, great. You raise your hand if you can. And if you can't, you don't. But like the, the sort of unsaid expectation that everyone who, you know, follows you on Instagram or on Facebook ought to like read this article or read this book or try this thing is uh, unrealistic and very dated. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess I like that. I feel, you know, for social media, honestly, I do want that, right? Like, I expect that, the thing you just told me I shouldn't expect, I guess I do, because it's like, the social media contract is like, I make stuff and you consume it. But uh, my friends, I don't have that contract with them, because I'm relating to them on a person-to-person level, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you're not, like, also publishing every, I I think for us, you know, our our Twitter and Instagram are somewhat professional, and so we're not, you know, posting to Facebook, like, new episode, like, you know, and then thinking resentfully about, like, our aunts and uncles who haven't actually listened to it, because it's it's a different audience. I really don't post a lot to Instagram, and on Twitter, it's mostly professional stuff, where I, like, yell about (laughs) games and tabletop RPG and media stuff, Um, but yet, I guess it's professional in the way that, like, I want to talk about the things that my profession is about, I, I am like this this professional identity or entity, and I want people to interact with that. Uh, I don't necessarily use that to make new friends, but I guess I do. But I like, you know, it's more complicated. It's different. I, I don't so. know. I don't know. I guess I expect everyone who follows me on social to want to check out all of my work, but I don't expect that from my IRL friends. I think that's true. One thing that I, I do think is fairly right, like, again, I agree with the thought of this, but it's just, like, put in the most annoying way possible. So rude. Um, the end, so each of these is, like, the rule that I'm going to read out, and then some of them have sort of descriptions afterward as well. And so the end of this description is, if you do consume their artistic products, send them a nice note, they'll remember forever. Oh, yes. If you consume my stuff and you don't tell me and you know me in person, God, I would just want you to tell me. All I want are compliments. All I want. Just give them to me. Yeah, my friend Yvonne uh, will text me um, occasionally to sort of respond to a joke I made in a podcast or, uh, you know, to compliment something we're doing on Join the Party. And every time my response is almost identical, which is like, it means so much to me that you listen to my podcast. Like, genuinely, you are you are a friend. You do not have to do this. Like, we did meet online, but like in a different artistic realm. And so, like, it genuinely, you know, means the world that you actually listen to the stuff that I make. I don't assume it of everybody, but when you do, it is so special. And I thank you so much. Absolutely. All right. Shall we move on to another one? Please. Okay, so this one made me think, but what if it was games? It's okay. rule number 20, and it's don't describe TikToks. It's more boring than describing dreams. <laughs> All right. Okay. This is, you know what's funny is that, like, some of the podcasts you listen to, I realize that they're just bitches and not funny. <laughs> yes. And some, but sometimes they, those two things blur, and this is one of the things that really blurred here. <laughs> it's like, that was, that was really mean, but it sure made tickle me. So what do you think about describing things that happen in your tabletop role-playing group? Oh, God. I know it's boring. I know it's boring. But I have to tell people. That's why I only tell Misha, right? It's yes. like, you got to tell friend... it to only to someone who might actually care. Yes, it's pre-vetted. Like, I also have friends where I'm like, tell me about your dreams. I care about them. I find them really interesting. Like, I, I do want to know. I, I don't assume there is an audience for it. But when there is an audience for it, like, Julia will tell me her buck wild fucking dreams all the time. And I'm so here for it. But when a friend, like, derails a serious conversation about your professional life to, like, tell a silly story story about like what their their blurbo did you know in like yesterday's rpg session that sucks um yes i agree so i think that most of the time you can't convey the you know the meaning and the feeling of you know in some cases like a many year long campaign to someone unless you say something like hey you know i am like 
emotionally hungover from last night's like you know pathfinder session because this like huge thing happened you can talk about the impact it had on you but saying like you won't believe what like you know jeremy the bar did yesterday uh that i just my brain shuts off i'm like i don't give a shit (laughs) i know and if you compare something that happened in someone's real life to something that happened to you while playing dungeons and dragons uh i will block you for 15 minutes and then come back (laughs) that's that's a great reaction truly that's that's the move that's the move um, yeah, uh, it's tough. You know, even on shows that like do this, um, I used to ask this question during Punchbowl interviews on Join the Party. And then I think so I've been asked this when I've been on other like tabletop RPG podcasts. You feel self conscious, or at least I feel self conscious. I'm like, oh, tell me the funniest thing that happened when you were playing a game. And I'm like, all right, well, I really hope you think it's funny. Well, um, I made this really good joke, and I hope you think it's a really good joke. And like, well, it's just, it's hard. It's like, it's, 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 I feel so conscious about this all the time, though. Like, when people recap TV show jokes to me, I'm like, and I felt this way for since I was, like, five. Oh, really? Like, when people are like, it's like, oh, this is just like the time the thing that happened in Family Guy and this happened. I'm like, ugh, ugh. (laughs) It's like, why are you recapping a show? We could be talking. We could do something else. I just think it makes me self-conscious. Yeah. But I think you're totally right that, like, you and Misha or me and Julia, if you have a pre-established, you know, like, green card, right? Of Like, <laughs> I find this interesting. Please tell it to me. You know, go off, Queen. That is that is exactly right. And, you know, restrict these sharings to the people who enjoy them. Yeah, I would much rather frame them as questions like, oh, what should I do in the next session that I'm running? Then I will 100% help you. Oh, yeah. There's something about... I because I've recently identified that I have no idea how to like do things that to make people like me. So I'm like the thing that oh man, I made a face at me. <laughs> like, you're so, people should really like you. You're I really just not, but like I'm not yeah. good at it. You know how like people are like oh yeah I just do this thing and then uh, they're so charismatic and then everyone likes me. I know what you in, mean. Like a real like make friends and influence people sort of way. Yes. And I know it's like kind of low key social manipulation, but I know that people do it like casually all the time. Yeah, they and, I'm do, like, oh. yeah. and I'm like, I'm so not good at that. Anyway, the point is the thing that you always that you said because you had to read all those terrible business books and make friends and influence people. It's always like if someone does a favor for you, it makes them like you more. Yes. And I feel like that's the thing is like if you want someone to listen to your tabletop RPG game, ask a question about what you're supposed to do for next. Right, because that that gives them a way in. instead of being like, "Haha, you're so funny," or like, "Haha, that's crazy." You know, you you get to say, "Hey, I'm I'm dealing with a challenge," and it doesn't matter whether the challenge is you know at work or like with your you know kids Girl Scout troop or you know with uh, with your tabletop game. You're you're abstracting or finding an angle into it that isn't just this cool thing happened you know to me or involving me, which mm-hmm. I think is really great. Absolutely. Also, Misha Misha just discorded me very recently telling me what happened to their game, and I love it. Yay! It's good. Good. Misha, keep doing it. Communications. Misha, can you put, like, the sound of fireworks here (laughs) to say that you approve? That would be helpful. All right, Eric, here is something that I know I have been guilty of and that I think has happened to you at many a table. Rule number 47 is, listening is not the time for you to silently rehearse what you want to say next. Flavor text. <laughs> Flavor text is we can see your eyes glazing over. Yep. And this reminded me so much about people just like ignoring what's happening, especially like during initiative or during combat, and just like thinking about what they're going to say next as other people take their turn in games. Yeah, that's for sure. This is good. Again, 
I wish this turned down the sassiness or like, I guess it's more acid tongue than sassy. It's more like sharp and uh, I wish they would turn it down like 30%. Yes. I think maybe people might actually like it more and, and take it to heart, but 100% true. That's uh, a really good thing to bring in, into practice. People notice. Yes. I think that like that's something that I've had to realize quite a lot that maybe just like our modern modern world, but I think humans inherently don't like telling other people that they know that you're doing something rude to them. And I think that's like when you call people out on stuff, that's why they react so badly. It's like, no one's ever done this to me before. No one's ever called me on my behavior, so that my behavior is bad. So like the thing that I notice is that even if I do something and no one tells me that they don't like it or that they notice that I'm doing something they don't dislike, they still notice it and sense it. And I get that vibe sometimes. So, yeah, it's exactly what this is. Like other people notice when you're super not listening to them. I think so. And I know that when I've done this in the past, it's often from a place of insecurity, which doesn't make it not offensive and bad. But it is possible to problem solve for that. So if I found myself like getting overwhelmed when it's my time to, you know, start combat, for example, if I'm spending the time like when we're playing Scrabble, you know, I fully ignore you when we're playing Scrabble and you're playing your turn. And then I'm like thinking about what I want to do next because I I am worried that I'm going to take too long when it is actually my turn. But that's fine. Right. different, Different situation. We're not like building a world together where everyone's actions have consequences. And also I'm like there for my friends and like not sure. spending time ignoring them. So, you know, for example, if if the person is finding, you know, if they're checking out during the uh, the turn, I think it's on the person to be like, you know what? I'm having trouble with uh, figuring out what my moves are. I'm going to have a default move. And if I don't know what to do, I'm going to do, you know. unarmed strike and move from there. Or, you know what, I'm going to give myself flashcards or a flowchart, which I did when playing a monk because I had kind of more options than I was used to. And I'm like, you know what, I have a flashcard, uh, a flowchart, I have one of six options, I'm going to do one of the six. Like, that helped me to be more in the moment. And maybe it's asking for help, maybe it's asking for a pause, maybe it's saying to your, you know, your GM or somebody else at the table, "Um, hey, I'm finding myself overwhelmed when my turn begins, help me, because there needs to be a solution that isn't ignore the rest of your table. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I wasn't even thinking about this. I was kind of thinking about, like, you know, not paying attention when someone else is talking or making jokes or leading a conversation. I wasn't even thinking about initiative. I think initiative, if someone's not ready on initiative, it is on you. Exactly the thing that you said. And if people tune out, that is the responsibility of the person who doesn't know what to do and also of the GM to keep things moving. Yes. I think that if people lose interest when you're doing something slow, that's the other people's problem. I think it's kind of the opposite of this. Yes. It's like, I don't have time to listen to you faff about what you're doing and go through your spell cards for 10 minutes. I just don't. And also, what's there's nothing to listen to. I totally understand if someone like then their mind drifts off or then they take out their phone and start paying bills or looking at emails like (laughs) I you know what are you supposed to do initiative that's why I don't like initiative it makes you feel trapped it's like we much like the avatar of the last airbender game you got to pull over on the side of the road and do some shit like the car stops rolling. And that that really bothers me. So, like, yes, everyone needs to offer up their listening ears. But if it's your turn to speak, you need to be engaging totally. in terms of in terms of combat here. I think so, too. Yeah. Right on. The only rule that was explicitly about games in this 194 was number 54, which is don't browbeat anyone into joining a game at a party. Mm. Seems obvious on its face. What parties are these people attending where, like, you are socially pressured if you don't play, like, strip Yahtzee or something? Like, what's happening here? Like, oh, we play charades in this house. And if you don't play charades in this house, like, you are you can't marry my daughter. I mean, you know that's the case, right? Like, oh, that's yeah. explicitly yeah. what we're talking about. 
They did offer in flavor text something that I find helpful as a person who often enjoys watching games but isn't always in the mood to play them, which is if you're the only person who doesn't want to play the game, offer to be the scorekeeper. Interesting. This feels like a real sports move. It's like, <laughs> yes. oh, you know what we do after Thanksgiving? We go out and we play football. It's like, well, I don't want to play, so I'll be the scorekeeper. That's the move. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's kind of a, it's kind of a funny thing that like the only one explicitly about games seems to be like protecting others from uh, like an invasive party situation. Yeah, it it really made me laugh speculating about the situation these people found themselves in. Eric, now here are some that uh, we deal with all the fucking time. <laughs> Number 97. If you're dialing into a meeting and your internet connection is choppy, don't power through. Put your thoughts in the chat or message someone to tell them to say your thoughts for you. Oh, God. This one's so important when it comes to games. <laughs> yes, isn't it? You're not allowed to play games with others over video chat if you have a terrible internet connection. I totally agree. Go off video, baby. Like, dial in on the phone. Sure. You got a phone, probably. The connection's probably okay. But it is so brutal to sit there and be like, Ooh, missed that, bud. Can you say, or like constantly, they're no, they don't know what to do, or like you have a weird sound coming in on your side and you just got to get muted. It, it throws the whole thing off. Games like this are all about communication I and, know. and momentum. Um, I would say this is hard even for when you're on Discord and you're playing a video game with friends. Yes, and I thought you have a very good sense, Eric, I think, of like when to step in and when it's fine to let go, partly because we, you know, do audio stuff and often it is relevant to our job. If we can't hear the person, probably the recording isn't good. So when do you think is the right time to like intervene? For me, it's probably, you know, if it happens more than once or twice, you know, if the like delay. Well, what's the thing? What do you, because they dropped off once or twice, it sounds bad once or twice, or they, they totally freeze once or twice. For me, it's cutting out specifically or lag that is so severe that, you know, I I can't really do communication properly. But at the top of calls, I will often say, again, partly because it's like a professional hazard, I'll say to people like, oh, I think your audio source is wrong, right? Or like, oh, is it <laughs> is it possible to, you know, like, let's, let's go off video. I think the connection's not good. Like, I will often be the person sort of putting my producer hat on to, like, make the prescription to do the thing. I think... Others might find it more difficult to be like, oh, am I the only person? Like, maybe you can message your, like, most assertive friend who is in the crawl with you to be like, is it just me or is, are you, like, having difficulty hearing whatever? Um, but wh- what do you think, Eric? When is the, when is the moment to, like, intervene? What, what, kind of, what kind of thing impedes understanding for you? Ooh, I mean, this is really hard because it's like you got to tell someone, hey, your Internet's so bad you can't have fun. <laughs> it's hard, yeah. And I just don't understand in this day and age how you don't have good enough Internet. I don't even think that this is like a class or money thing like this is just you you need to get off of your bad internet you need to switch services like it's it must be harming you in multiple places in your life if this is happening right now in a casual setting so it's just it's frustrating i don't know what to do because then you have to tell someone hey you can't play this right now Mm -hmm. you are making everyone else uh, upset and unfrustrated by your internet connection and then what are you supposed to do uh, or like if someone's using a microphone that's so bad and no one knows what the hell they're saying, also difficult. Yeah, I, I think it's in most cases ruder to 
not tell the person there was an issue. Like, I would hate if after, you know, an hour of being like, well, why is my shit not going over well? Like, are people not listening to me? Like, you you also don't want to be, if you don't know, you can't fix it. And so I think if it's impeding understanding or impeding your fun, sometimes you got to make the call to be like, listen, you know, we got to switch to another service. You got to get on the phone. We got to go off video. You know, we got to figure it out. Unfortunately, I think that the nicest thing to do is you have to endure it once and then tell them yeah. that this happens. Like, you can't call them out mid mid uh, session unfortunately unless you're known as the assertive friend i, I can't see a way because like in social situations regardless if it's like or semi-professional if you're playing games or if these are your friends i guess like if it's your friends it's fine but if you're not like in a strictly everyone's cool everyone's nice situation where you can be honest with each other like you got to give up social capital in order to tell someone hey you sounded like absolute garbage and everyone had a bad time to do it during the session. You got to be like, hey, the next time we do this, can you get a better microphone? Mm -hmm. um, that's what I feel like is the easiest thing to do. You just got to take it on the chin. For once, hopefully it's not a four-hour session. It's just like one hour. <laughs> I think that's a good plan. Next, we have down in number 137. I'm popping around a little bit here. Um, you have to get consent to post a conversation with a friend. And the <laughs> flavor text is, no screenshots and no copy and paste without permission. Pictures? Get the consent in triplicate. So a real a real <laughs> Sex in the City vibe there. Um, but I, I thought this was relevant as well. Certainly screenshots from a Discord or from PMs with somebody, you know, you would not share without permission. I think that's pretty well understood, at least in our social circles. Um, but I, I wonder what you think, Eric, when this comes to game stories and be like, hey, my friend acted like an absolute jerk or my friend did this absolutely badass thing or our DM, you know, sprung this thing on us. Like what what feels like my story to tell and where does this verge into needing to get somebody's consent to talk about? If you're going to talk shit, don't take screenshots. Mm -hmm. You can just summarize and you'll totally get the same thing across. Like if you're going to go on RPG horror stories or something, that's fine. If it's praise, people love that. People will probably say yes. Or you can probably just do it anyway, honestly. Um, I think it's like when someone says something ridiculous or silly or something that makes no sense out of context or is ridiculous out of context, then you totally got to ask. Yes, I think if it's like, you know, this person in my game group derailed the quest to like have sex with a bartender or something in game. I think that's a little bit not what well, you want to say. Well, that's not good, because it just depends if it's funny. Like, I think on one side it's bad, then just subtweet them. If it's good, <laughs> if it's overtly good, I think it's fine. If it's in the middle of funny but embarrassing, that's when you're getting, that's when it's tricky. Yes. Like, the, like a, out of context spoilers for your, for your own table. Yes. The thing that came to mind for me was also if somebody gets really emotional, somebody cries, if there is sure. like a real, you know, some real feelings happened and someone could feel embarrassed by what you're sharing. I don't, yeah, but I don't know about that. I think we, screenshots are different. Like, what are we taking a screenshot of? Telling a story about your friend crying. That's just a story. That's you were there for it. That's I don't know true. if I agree. I don't know if I agree with that. I talk about the story when Julia cried when I first when I was first DMing all the time. Yeah, but, but, like it, but you, it's my that's my story just as much as it is hers. It's a, exactly like it's about maybe maybe that's the key here. It's like it has to do with you in some way. And not just like a thing that you witness. Like you're not like, oh yeah, I was at a table and this girl fucking cried. Like I, that, that's not the story. <laughs> you're saying like, wow, a really meaningful thing for me when I was first starting to DM before we started joining the party is like, you know, in just a few sessions, like Julie had enough emotional investment to this character that you know a thing that I instituted, you know, provoked a real reaction in her, and that's something I'm really proud of. Like right. that's that's what you're saying, not like, oh, oh Julia cried. Uh. Oh, then I should stop telling the story. Like, oh, the Julia <laughs> cried. 
Yeah, but that's what it was. That's what happened. No, but that's that's what came to mind for me when I was reading this. So I, I wondered where you came down on it. Sure. And as we say on Games and Feelings all the time, games and feelings, they intersect, man. <laughs> that's your that's your tagline, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a nice thing in every episode. <laughs> so here are a few things about like messaging, cancellations, food, just the, the real nitty gritty logistics where ever since Bridge Mix, I've been really curious about food at game nights. So. Bridge Mix? Yeah. In the Patreon, we talked about what to serve at a bridge night and we learned about oh, Bridge Mix. Oh, right. Yeah. Which is chocolate covered candies, which frankly sounds amazing. Right. Not too salty that it would get on the yep. cards, but it's still mm-hmm. lots of good stuff. Yes. So one of their rules early at number 15 was it's okay to ghost after one date, which, you know, you can... Okay, it's such a flexible word <laughs> yeah. there. Uh, it's, well, that's what they're trying to do is like draw a line in the sand of like one date if you ghost, fine. And if, and if it's more than one date, bad. Um, and they specifically say like if you've been texting a lot, if you clearly talked about going out on another date, like then that's a little bit different. Um, but I wonder what you think about like joining a game group. Like I think this is a clearly different situation where if you just, you know, meet up with people at like a local game store or a board game cafe or like, you know, you're at PAX on plugged and you like do a randomly assigned you know magic tourney or something fine one time there's no expectation of repeating but i do think that if you find yourself in a situation where you commit to joining a game group and you have one session you've like joined it and you have to like actively unjoin you can't just like not go again right yeah there are so few scenarios i can think of where someone wouldn't say let's do this again sometime Mm mm-hmm even that, even that is putting out there, hey, did you like doing this? And then you got to go, yeah. And then you be like, actually, I can't, I don't have, even lie, even lie about it. Hey, I don't have time <laughs> to do this on a regular basis. It's fine. Yes. Like, at least lie. But no, you can't ghost. I just think that ghosting sucks. And maybe I've been out the dating scene long enough that I don't remember how annoying it is to have to tell someone that you didn't like their date and then you don't want to talk to them again. But like, it's the least you can do. Yes. It's the least you can do, especially even if something as long. Yeah, if it could seem super casual, like meeting up at a game store, like, oh, hey, I'll see you next month at this thing. That's almost a communication. If you have their number, if they reach out to you on Discord, they might reach out to you and be like, hey, where were you? And I think that that's the expectation. I think if there are other alternatives to you being there that they don't have to plan around, that's fine. Well, yes. Let, let's let me ask you a question. Are you talking about not wanting to continue because you don't like them, which is the al- which is the um ghosting an- analog, which is the uh, ghosting a- analog? Yes, correct. Or like you're not going to go to the same event that they were at again. I think the former, you clearly cannot ghost. But the latter, if you're just like, oh, there's a, you know, again, like a monthly drop in, like, you know, board game club, meetup, board game thing. night. Yeah. yeah. That you don't have. You might say like, oh, yeah, hopefully I'll catch you again. And then, you know, you can just say you couldn't make it. But I'm thinking like you join somebody's campaign. Sure. And then you know, the first session goes very badly or you realize you don't jive with it or you don't like it or it took way more time than you thought it would. Um, if it went bad, what a good opportunity for you to tell someone you don't like that they're bad. Yes. Right? How few situations do you have to give actual criticism and say, you made me waste three hours? Mm-hmm. Like, take the opportunity. You might as well. No, I, with ghosting, I realize it's like, oh, I didn't really like this person, but they were fine. But like... Ghosting is like saving you the annoyance of saying, like, we didn't vibe, you know, not again. Sure. But 
as soon as you make some kind of commitment, like you're saying, of like, see you next time, let's get drinks next time, you know, like, let's get coffee before the thing, you know, I'll bring my other deck and then we'll do something next time. You you can't, like, intimate future plans. I think the thing that Ghosting tries to answer is that, like, going on a date sort of presumes a second date if one person likes it, but if the other person doesn't, you know, that that is a an implied continuation that some people find challenging to cut off. Sure. So if rule number one, Eric, was you don't read everyone's book. Sure. Rule number two is, of course, you may callously cancel almost any plans up until 2 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> and the flavor text is, at 2 p.m., there's still ample time for your friend, if they so choose, to text around and find another dinner companion. By 3, they almost certainly will be alone for the night. <laughs> <laughs> One hour difference. <laughs> and then the parenthetical... This doesn't apply if you want to cancel on someone who is cooking for you. In that situation, you have to tell them the night before. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's cutting it a little bit close. Don't you think? So the the situation here, I think, is like, you know, oh, I'm having friends over tomorrow to, you know, play games and like we're going to, you know, have appetizers, have a soup party, like order in paninis, whatever it might be. The ordering in obviously doesn't count. But I think the night before, like, I bought the groceries. I've, like, done the prep. I, I've, you know, like, made the cash while I'm going to serve tomorrow. Sure. I That's mean, a the, lot. the life that these people are living assumes that you're doing the grocery shopping that day because that's all you have time to do when you're ready to set up this dinner party. I just thought that was a little bit cutting it close. And there was another related rule, which was that the um, the window for showing up late is 10 minutes only, um, which I thought was really curious. Number 58, the grace period for one-on-one social lateness without penalty remains unchanged at 10 minutes sharp. Ooh, one-on-one, though. Yes. Yeah, if someone's standing, if someone is standing outside of a movie for 10 minutes and you're not there, and you don't say something, you're a bad person. Yeah, but I think if it's like 108 and we were supposed to meet at 1, I'm kind of annoyed. Is that just me? Oh, yeah. I mean, 8 minutes is pretty close to 10 minutes, I think, with rounding. because But ten. I think 10 minutes is like the 5 to 10 minutes is like, I'm annoyed, but I can't say anything. Sure. But 10 minutes is like, you're a bad person. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hate people who are late perpetually. People who, like, you got to tell them half an hour early so that they show up on time. I deeply dislike people like that. Well, I I think that it's also proportional to the length of the social commitment. So, for example, if you say to your friends, like, come over at 7 for game night, and there's, like, eight people coming, you're going to be there for, like, four or five hours. Then if somebody comes at, like, 725, I'm not, like, pissed about it. Um, but one-on-one is the, you know, the the clause here that I think gives us real context. Yeah. Uh, the canceling thing is interesting. I think that maybe, and I do feel this way sometimes, but I think that John Mulaney has told people that it's okay to cancel whenever because the other person is really happy about it. Right. They're like, actually, people love it when you cancel on them. Mm, very and big like, Tumblr. And, like, sometimes I don't like it when I'm canceled on. I was really excited to do something. Again, it's very introvert uh, valorization. They're like, everyone's actually introverted and no one likes talking to each other. Um, but you're like, but, but I do. But I do. I felt really bad. I was feeling really sick. And my friends were coming over for Survivor. And I was trying to push through. But Amanda told me that I, de- I was too sick. And then I had to cancel on them like an hour before they were leaving. Because I just was too sick that day. And I thought I would make it work. And like, I was really bummed about it. And I was, I was, I felt bad that I had to cancel. So it's like, I don't know. I feel like it's more complicated than people are letting on. I kind of like these hard and fast rules. 
I'm not coming all the way back around. And I, <laughs> I like hard and fast rules so that I can choose to invert them if I don't like them. But I need someone to throw something out there. I don't like that it's ambiguous at all. Yes, I, I like that you're coming around to appreciate some of this. I agree. I think this is like well-intentioned, but like way too sassy for my liking. Yes, um, for sure. But I think both you and your friend did the same thing, which like you sent the message that like, oh, like, I'm sorry. Like, I thought I felt better and I don't. Um, and then both you and the friends who are coming over at the same time were like, totally get it. But like, let's let's find the next thing. Like, let's hang out this weekend. Like, let's make let's make alternative plans, which right. I, I do think is important and nice. And if you're the canceller, it's a nice thing to do to be like, hey, I still do want to see you. Like, I'm super sorry. It is it is just this one thing. And if you're the cancelee, it's a way to be like, oh, OK, like bummed. But let's figure out what the next thing is. Yeah. It's like, let's continue to. Uh, have make events, which again, I guess maybe is happening because we're in our 30s and it's harder to hang out with people than just like, oh, hey, what are you doing? Let's just go over and hang out for 48 hours in a row. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, I do think also when it comes to like, you know, if you have to change your recurring game night or, you know, you planned to play with friends over Discord or something and one person has to cancel, I, I do think it is on the canceller to sort of provide some alternatives to, yes. or if you're canceling because you don't want to do it, just be like, listen, guys, like I committed to this, but I, I was wrong. Like, I, I can't do this. <laughs> You know. I know. If you need to have a really good reason if you cancel after. I think 2 p.m. is good. 2 p.m. is not a bad thing. I would honestly say 1, honestly. After lunch. Yeah. After lunch. So maybe so. I think 2 is honestly pretty good. But something <laughs> we promise we won't cancel is being at PAX East. Whee! If you are listening to this on the day it's out or the day after on Friday or Saturday... So if you listen to this on March 24th, 2023, or the next day, we will be in Boston at PAX East. We'd love to see you there. Uh, there's going to be a Games and Feelings live show on Saturday, and Multitude is going to be tabling Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in the Bandland area, which is where, in the lobby, where you get your tickets and your bracelets and stuff. Please come through. Ask questions. We're going to read them aloud uh, live. We have wonderful guests, past guests, Jenna Steber and Merritt Kay. It's going to be awesome. Also, if you can't make it to PAX East or you are not in Boston, don't worry. We are going to post the live show in this feed if all goes well, re-recording it. I can't wait. I'm going to be there in the audience uh, clapping along. Can, I, can you do like a specific laugh or woo so that I know it's you? Woo! <laughs> How's that? <laughs> that's, that's a little generic, babe. Okay. Um. How about? Ha <laughs> That sounds sarcastic. Fuck. No, yeah, okay. Right. How about original but not nice? All right. How about? <laughs> no, that's. I don't know if that will get lost. Yeah, that'll get lost. All right. Let me let me think on it. You have to come live or listen to the recording to hear what I come up with. Can you go ho ho ho? Can I go? <laughs> that's pretty good. La la la. Troll How about that? How about yeah. I say troll <laughs> that's, that's distinct. That's good. That's good. Oh, incredible. Amanda, thanks for doing this with me. Thanks for being my wife. Oh, thanks for uh, navigating uh, the world with me, modern etiquette or no. Great. Where where do people see you on the internet? I'm at She's So Mickey, uh, and I do two other podcasts, Join the Party and Spirits, both of which come out every dang week. If you don't listen to Spirits, none of the things in the beginning of the episode are going to make any sense. You just listen to the show. It's good. You can find me on social media at L underscore Silvero, E-L underscore S-A-L-V-E-R-O. My name, if I'm a Lucha Libre wrestler, you can find Games and Feelings on Twitter at Games and Feelings with an N. Uh, You can follow us on Instagram at Games and Feelings. Make sure to submit questions on the website. Make sure to join our Patreon so you can hear more stuff like this uh, because we have a lot of it. Patreon.com 
com slash games and feelings. See you at PAX East. And as they say at the end of every single episode of Games and Feelings, dang, Games and Feelings intersect. Wow. Wow, man. Wow. We're all Venn diagrams when you think about it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Games and Feelings is produced by Eric Silver and edited and mixed by Misha Stanley. The theme music is Returned to French Toast Castle by Jeff Bryce, and the art was created by Jessica Boyd. Find transcripts for this episode and all episodes at our website, gamesandfeelings.com. Until next time, press X to enjoy the podcast.